Part 1, Chapter 12 of 800 Leagues on the Amazon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Luke Harrison. 800 Leagues on the Amazon by Jules Verne. Part 1, The Giant Raft. Chapter 12, Fragoso at Work. Braza, burning embers, is a word found in the Spanish language as far back as the 12th century. It has been used to make the word Brazil as descriptive of certain woods which yield a reddish dye. From this has come the name Brazil, given to that vast district of South America which is crossed by the equator, and in which these products are so frequently met with. In very early days, these woods were the object of considerable trade. Although correctly called Ibirapitunga from the place of production, the name of Brazil stuck to them and it has become that of the country, which seems like an immense heap of embers lighted by the rays of the tropical sun. Brazil was from the first occupied by the Portuguese. About the commencement of the 16th century, Alvarez Cabral, the pilot, took possession of it, and although France and Holland partially established themselves there, it has remained Portuguese, and possesses all the qualities which distinguish that gallant little nation. It is today the largest state of South America, and has at its head the intelligent artist king, Dom Pedro. "'What is your privilege in the tribe?' asked Montaigne of an Indian whom he met at Havre. "'The privilege of marching first to battle,' innocently answered the Indian. "'War, we know, was for a long time the surest and most rapid vehicle of civilization. "'The Brazilians did what this Indian did. "'They fought, they defended their conquests, they enlarged them, "'and we see them marching in the first rank of the civilizing advance. "'It was in 1824, sixteen years after the foundation of the Portugo-Brazilian Empire,' that Brazil proclaimed its independence by the voice of Don Juan, whom the French armies had chased from Portugal. It remained only to define the frontier between the new empire and that of its neighbour, Peru. This was no easy matter. If Brazil wished to extend the Rio Napo in the west, Peru attempted to reach eight degrees further, as far as the Lake of Iga. But in the meantime, Brazil had to interfere to hinder the kidnapping of the Indians from the Amazon, a practice which was engaged in much to the profit of the Hispano-Brazilian missions. There was no better method of checking this trade than that of fortifying the island of the Ronde, a little above Tabatinga, and there establishing a post. This afforded the solution, and from that time the frontier of the two countries passed through the middle of this island. Above, the river is Peruvian, and is called the Marauan, as has been said. Below, it is Brazilian, and takes the name of the Amazon. It was on the evening of the 25th of June that the Jangada stopped before Tabatinga, the first Brazilian town situated on the left bank at the entrance of the river of which it bears the name, and belonging to the parish of St. Paul, established on the right, a little further downstream. John Garral had decided to pass thirty-six hours here, so as to give a little rest to the crew. They would not start, therefore, until the morning of the 27th. On this occasion, Yaquita and her children, less likely perhaps than at Iquitos to be fed upon by the native mosquitoes, had announced their intention of going on ashore and visiting the town, the population of Tabatinga is estimated at 400, nearly all Indians, comprising no doubt many of those wandering families who were never settled at particular spots on the banks of the Amazon or its smaller tributaries. The post at the island of the Ronde has been abandoned for some years and transferred to Tabatinga. It can thus be called a garrison town, but the garrison is only composed of nine soldiers, nearly all Indians, and a sergeant who is the actual commandant of the place. A bank about 30 feet high in which are cut the steps of a not very solid staircase, 
forms here the curtain of the esplanade which carries the pygmy fort. The house of the commandant consists of a couple of huts placed in a square, and the soldiers occupy an oblong building a hundred feet away, at the foot of a large tree. The collection of cabins exactly resembles all the villages and hamlets which are scattered along the banks of the river, although in them a flagstaff carrying the Brazilian colours does not rise above a sentry box, forever destitute of its sentinel, nor are four small mortars present to cannonade on an emergency any vessel which does not come in when ordered. As for the village proper, so called, it is situated below, at the base of the plateau. A road, which is but a ravine shaded by ficusis and moritis, leads to it in a few minutes. There, on a half-cracked hill of clay, stand a dozen houses, covered with the leaves of the boyasu palm, placed round a central space. All this is not very curious, but the environs of Tabatinga are charming, particularly at the mouth of the Javare, which is of sufficient extent to contain the archipelago of the Aramasa Islands. Hereabouts are grouped many fine trees, and among them a large number of the palms, whose supple fibres are used in the fabrication of hammocks and fishing nets, and are the cause of some trade. To conclude, the place is one of the most picturesque on the upper Amazon. Tabatinga is destined to become, before long, a station of some importance, and will no doubt rapidly develop, for there will stop the Brazilian steamers which ascend the river, and the Peruvian steamers which descend it. There they will transship passengers and cargoes. It does not require much for an English or American village to become, in a few years, the centre of considerable commerce. The river is very beautiful along this part of its course. The influence of ordinary tides is not perceptible at Tabatinga, which is more than 600 leagues from the Atlantic. But it is not so with the Pororoca, that species of eddy, which for three days in the height of the Syzygis raises the waters of the Amazon, and turns them back at the rate of 17 kilometres per hour. They say that the effects of this bore are felt up to the Brazilian frontier. On the morrow, the 26th of June, the Garal family prepared to go off and visit the village. Though Joan, Benito and Manuel had already set foot in a Brazilian town, it was otherwise with Yaquita and her daughter. For them it was, so to speak, a taking possession. It is conceivable, therefore, that Yaquita and Mina should attach some importance to the event. If, on his part, Fragoso, in his capacity of wandering barber, had already run through the different provinces of South America, Lina, like her young mistress, had never been on Brazilian soil. But before leaving the Jangada, Fragoso had sought Joam Garral, and had the following conversation with him. Mr. Garral, said he, from the day when you received me at the fazenda of Iquitos, lodged, clothed, fed, in a word, took me in so hospitably, I have owed you. You owe me absolutely nothing, my friend, answered Joam, so do not insist. Oh, do not be alarmed, exclaimed Fragoso. I am not going to pay it off. Let me add that you took me on board the Jangada and gave me the means of descending the river. But here we are on the soil of Brazil, which according to all probability I ought never to have seen again. Without that liana. It is to Lina, and to Lina alone, that you should tender your thanks, said Joam. I know, said Fragoso, and I will never forget what I owe her, any more than what I owe you. They tell me, Fragoso, continued Joam, that you are going to say good-bye and intend to remain at Tabatinga. By no means, Mr. Garral, since you have allowed me to accompany you to Belem, where I hope at the least to be able to resume my old trade. Well, if that is your intention, what were you going to ask me? I was going to ask if you saw any inconvenience in my working at my profession on our route. There is no necessity for my hand to rust, and besides, a few handfuls of race would not be so bad at the bottom of my pocket, more particularly if I had earned them. You know, Mr. Garral, that a barber, who is also a hairdresser, and I hardly like to say a doctor, out of respect to Mr. Manuel, always finds customers in these upper Amazon villages. Particularly among the Brazilians, answered Joe. As for the natives... I beg pardon, replied Fragoso, particularly among the natives. Ah, 
although there is no beard to trim, for nature has been very stingy toward them in that way. There are always some heads of hair to be dressed in the latest fashion. They are very fond of it, these savages, both the men and the women. I shall not be installed ten minutes in the square at Tabatinga with my cup and ball in hand, the cup and ball I have brought on board, and which I can manage with pretty pleasantly, before a circle of braves and squaws will have formed around me. They will struggle for my favours. I could remain here for a month, and the whole tribe of the Tacunas would come to me to have their hair looked after. They won't hesitate to make the acquaintance of curling tongs. That is what they will call me, if I revisit the wars of Tabatinga. I have already had two tries here, and my scissors and comb have done marvels. It does not do to return too often on the same track. The Indian ladies don't have their hair curled every day, like the beauties of our Brazilian cities. No, when it is done, it is done for a year. During the twelvemonth, they will take every care not to endanger the edifice which I have raised. With what talent, I dare not say. Now it is nearly a year since I was at Tabatinga. I go to find my monuments in ruins. And if it is not objectionable to you, Mr. Garral, I would render myself again worthy of the reputation which I have acquired in these parts. The question of race and not that of conceit, being, you understand, the principle. "'Go on, then, my friend,' replied Joam Garral, laughingly. "'But be quick. We can only remain a day at Tabatinga, and we shall start to-morrow at dawn.' "'I will not lose a minute,' answered Fragoso. "'Just time to take the tools of my profession, and I am off.' "'Off you go, Fragoso,' said Joam. "'And may the race rain into your pocket.' "'Yes, and that is a proper sort of rain, and there can never be too much of it for your obedient servant.' And so saying, Fragoso rapidly moved away. A moment afterward, the family, with the exception of Joam, went ashore. The jangada was able to approach near enough to the bank for the landing to take place without much trouble. A staircase, in a miserable state, cutting the cliff, allowed the visitors to arrive on the crest of the plateau. Yaquita and her party were received by the commandant of the fort, a poor fellow who, however, knew the laws of hospitality, and offered them some breakfast in his cottage. Here and there passed and repassed several soldiers on guard, where on the threshold of the barrack appeared a few children, with their mothers of Tikuna blood, affording very poor specimens of the mixed race. In place of accepting the breakfast of the sergeant, Yaquita invited the commandant and his wife to come and have theirs on board the jangada. The commandant did not wait for a second invitation, and an appointment was made for eleven o'clock. In the meantime, Yaquita, her daughter, and the young mulatto, accompanied by Manuel, went for a walk in the neighbourhood, leaving Benito to settle with the commandant about the tolls, he being chief of the custom house, as well as of the military establishment. That done, Benito, as was his wont, strolled off with his gun into the adjoining woods. On this occasion, Manuel had declined to accompany him. Fragoso had left the jangada, but instead of mounting to the fort, he had made for the village, crossing the ravine which led off from the right on the level of the bank. He reckoned more on the native custom of Tabatinga than on that of the garrison. Doubtless the soldiers' wives would not have wished better than to have been put under his hands, but the husbands scarcely cared to part with a few race for the sake of gratifying the whims of their coquettish partners. Among the natives it was quite the reverse. Husbands and wives, the jolly barber knew them well, and he knew they would give him a better reception. Behold then, Fragoso on the road, coming up the shady lane, beneath the ficuses, and arriving in the central square of Tabatinga. As soon as he set foot in the place, the famous barber was signalled, recognised, surrounded. Fragoso had no big box, nor drum, nor cornet to attract the attention of his clients, not even a carriage of shining copper with resplendent lamps and ornamented glass panels, nor a huge parasol, nor anything whatever to impress the public, as they generally have at fairs. No, but Fragoso had his cup and ball, and how that cup and ball were manipulated between his fingers. With what address did he receive the turtle's head, which did for the ball, on the pointed end of the stick? With what grace did he make the ball describe some learned curve, of which the mathematicians have not yet calculated the value, even those who have determined the wondrous curve of the dog who follows his master? 
Every native was there, men, women, the old and the young, in their nearly primitive costume, looking on with all their eyes, listening with all their ears. The smiling entertainer, half in Portuguese, half in Tacunian, favoured them with his customary oration in a tone of the most rollicking good humour. What he said was what is said by all the charlatans who place their services at the public disposal, whether they be Spanish Figaro's or French Perruquier's. At the bottom, the same self-possession, the same knowledge of human weakness, the same description of threadbare witticisms, the same amusing dexterity, and, on the part of the natives, the same wide-mouthed astonishment, the same curiosity, the same credulity as the simple folk of the civilised world. It followed, then, that ten minutes later the public were completely won, and crowded round Fragoso, who was installed in a loja of the place, a sort of serving bar to the inn. The loja belonged to a Brazilian, settled at Tabatinga. There, for a few vatems, which are the souls of the country, and worth about twenty reis, or half a dozen centimes each, the natives could get drinks of the crudest, and particularly assai, a liquor, half solid, half liquid, made of the fruit of the palm tree, and drunk from a cui, or half calabash, in general use in this district of the Amazon. And then men and women with equal eagerness took their places on the barber's stool. The scissors of Fragoso had little to do, for it was not a question of cutting these wealthy heads of hair, nearly all remarkable for their softness and their quality, but the use to which he could put his comb and the tongs, which were kept warming in the corner in a brazier. And then the encouragements of the artist of the crowd. Look here, look here, said he. How will that do, my friends, if you don't sleep on the top of it? There you are, for a twelvemonth, and these are the latest novelties from Belem and Rio de Janeiro. The Queen's maids of honour are not more cleverly decked out, and observe, I am not stingy with the pomade. No, he was not stingy with it. True, it was only a little grease, with which he had mixed some of the juices of a few flowers, but he plastered it on like cement. And as to the names of the capillary edifices, for the monuments reared by the hands of Fragoso were of every order of architecture, buckles, rings, clubs, tresses, crimpings, rolls, corkscrews, curls, everything found there a place, nothing false, no towers, no chignons, no shams. These heads were not enfeebled by cuttings, nor thinned by fallings off, but were forests in all their native virginity. Fergoso, however, was not above adding a few natural flowers, two or three long fish-bones, and some fine bone or copper ornaments, which were brought him by the dandies of the district. Assuredly, the exquisites of the directory would have envied the arrangement of these high-art coiffures, three and four stories high, and the great Leonard himself would have bowed before his transatlantic rival. And then the vatems, the handfuls of race, the only coins for which the natives of the Amazon exchanged their goods, which rained into the pocket of Fragoso, and which he collected with evident satisfaction, but assuredly night would come before he could satisfy the demands of the customers, who were so constantly renewed. It was not only the population of Tabatinga which crowded to the door of the loja. The news of the arrival of Fragoso was not slow to get abroad. Natives came to him from all sides, Tecunas from the left bank of the river, Mayarunas from the right bank, as well as all those who live on the Kajuru, and those who come from the villages of the Javare. A long array of anxious ones formed itself in the square. The happy ones coming from the hands of Fragoso went proudly from one house to another, showing themselves off without daring to shake themselves, like the big children that they were. It thus happened that when noon came the much-occupied barber had not had time to return on board, but had had to content himself with a little assai, some manioc flour and turtle eggs, which he rapidly devoured between two applications of the curling tongs. But it was a great harvest for the innkeeper, as all the operations could not be conducted without a large absorption of liquors drawn from the cellars of the inn. In fact, it was an event for the town of Tabatinga, this visit of the celebrated Fragoso, barber in ordinary and extraordinary to the tribes of the Upper Amazon. End of chapter 12. Fragoso at Work. Recording by Luke Harrison. 
web.me.com forward slash back in the USSR 6 forward slash.